0: Good morning, church. Isn't it always a blessing to have the kids participate in service? Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did a great job. You can clap for them. I'm okay with that. Thank you very much, adventurers, and thank you, adventure leaders who uh, made all of this possible Thank you for all your work and for uh, blessing the kids. Thank you very much. Proximity increases intensity. Proximity increases intensity. If I take a swing at you and miss... Not very intense. If I take a swing at you and my fist comes in proximity to your face, intensity increases. Right? If I tell you, they got a brand new car. You're driving down the freeway, you saw this new car, stickers are still in the window, you go, look, they got a brand new car. Nice for them. Isn't that nice? If I say to you, Hey, I understand you got a brand new car. Is that a little more intense for you? You know when it becomes really intense? is when I say, "I got a brand new car." Proximity increases intensity. I was listening to Randy Roberts uh, this last week, and he was sharing a story, sharing that same concept. Proximity increases intensity. If you think about it, Those things are true in your life. If your neighbor next door has a barking dog, it bothers you. Right? If the neighbor a block away has a barking dog, not such a big deal. Right? If the barking dog gets in your backyard standing by your window while you're trying to sleep, proximity will increase the intensity. Right? This is also true of our experience of faith. When somebody comes in proximity to faith, the intensity of faith increases for that person, whether they have any or not. When somebody comes in proximity with faith, the intensity of faith becomes more significant for that person, whether they have faith personally or not. Yes? Last week, I asked you to turn and talk to a neighbor for just a minute. We're going to do it again today. Turn and talk to your neighbor. This is just so you can get your wiggles out and talk to folks. Okay? I know you all have wiggles. Turn to folks next to you and, and explain to them what, how proximity increases intensity. Now, you just demonstrated that proximity increases intensity because you're sitting next to someone and you had a little conversation. Being next to them increased the intensity for both of you of the, of the point. Proximity increases intensity. I want to, to, to think about that today as we talk about our next step in our discovery of the nature, the character of God. We've been talking about the character of God in the first month. We talked about understanding it, getting acquainted with it, beginning to look for it in the Bible, beginning to know that it's part of what Scripture says on a regular basis. So as you're going through the Bible this year, you'll be looking for a display of the character of God, that the ultimate truth of Scripture is a truth about the character of God. That the ultimate truth of Scripture is the redemption of the character of God. It's the demonstration that He can, in fact, be trusted. That's the ultimate truth of Scripture. That's what's behind it all. That's what the attack was in Genesis chapter 3. That's what the, that's what is settled in Revelation 20, 21, and 22. The whole issue of God's character underlies the entirety of Scripture. That's the storyline. All the rest are are implements for teaching that same storyline until it climaxes with the biography of Jesus, God walking among us on the earth, Emmanuel, God with us. I want to turn your attention to a next level and talk about taking it in, now that you're beginning to, to discover it in Scripture, to begin to take it in as your own, to begin to actually imitate the character of God, to actually attempt to be godly, to be godly. If you notice, there's a new verse behind us up here. Yes. Thank you to uh, Sharon Cox. She's the one who takes care and makes sure that we get all these things put up. If you haven't had a chance to sh- thank her personally, please do. She and JB are the ones who manage to get all this stuff up. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Now, I want you to catch that. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Who's supposed to see to that? Us, the church is right now. Can I can I get you to go? To, can I get you to narrow that proximity? So so here's the deal. Who's supposed to make sure that no one misses the grace of God? Well, the church is right. Okay. So who's supposed to make sure that no one misses the grace of God? We are right. So who's supposed to make sure that no one misses the grace of God? I am. Right. Proximity increases intensity. When it's mine, now there's an issue. Now I have something that I'm working with. It's not just them. It's not just we, but it's me. Proximity increases this intensity. So see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root goes up to cause trouble and defile many. The, the opposite of faith interacting with people is for the church to, to begin to take on the bitterness the bitter root, and begin to defile many. When faith in practice, in imitation of Christ, is actively out there in the midst of the world, it impacts people's lives. People who are close to faith begin to be influenced by faith even if they have no faith of their own. They begin to be influenced and touched by it. Seeing faith in action in your presence makes an impact even if you have no faith of your own. Seeing faith, seeing people who claim to have faith who have grown a bitter root is a lie about the character of God. And it defiles many. Because when those who claim to represent God come forward with that anger and bitterness and rejection of the people around them, we create a misunderstanding of who God is. Is when bitterness is allowed to creep out of me onto my Facebook page, when bitterness is allowed to come out of me, when I'm talking to someone in the in the fast lane, in the freeway, when bitterness is allowed to come out of me, when I go to the store, when I'm standing in the mall, when I'm wherever I am, when bitterness begins to come out of me. It misrepresents the character of God. And it defiles many. Make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. Make sure that no root of bitterness grows up that might cause trouble and pollute many. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Since we have, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now this, this needs a little bit of introduction because chapter 11 of Hebrews is where all of those people of great faith are listed. By faith and faith. Adam, by faith, Cain, by faith, Abel, not Cain, by faith, Abraham, by faith, we get out of the A's and move on to somebody else. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, all of these people have stood and stand for God. Now that you have such a great cloud of witnesses, now that you've seen the biographies of people like Moses and Daniel, now that you've seen the biography of Jesus himself, now that you've seen the biographies of Peter. And Paul, now that you've seen the biographies of people who live their faith, now that biography about the character of God has been seen in the character of others, now that you see such a great cloud of witnesses, since we are surrounded, since you are surrounded, since I am surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of, all, of every weight and, of, and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out before us, keeping our eyes where? fixed on jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith we must run the race now the the idea here is that uh that you're in a a long race you're not in a sprint this is a marathon this is a long race that you're running and in this long race you need somebody to keep your eyes on so you can number one stay on the trail so you need to know where the race is going so you keep your eyes out any of you run uh, ever run in a long race (laughs) raise your hand if you've run in a long race and I'm counting anything over like five miles, three to five miles. That's pretty long. So you run a 5K, you've, I consider that a long race, okay? You know, if you've run a 5K, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. Okay, now those of you who have read your hand up. Have you ever been out on the race course and didn't know if you were going the right direction? No. Some of you have, so a couple of you have. What do you do when you're out there and you don't know what you're, who you're, what you're supposed to do? You start looking for people with those big things on their chest or on their back, right? You start looking for people wearing the uniform or you start looking for mile markers, You're looking for things that mark the path. That's the case with the spiritual life. That's the case with all of us. The point is you're running a long race and you might get lost out there. You might lose your way and not know exactly where you are. So when you're running out there on that race, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's been this way before. He's been down this path before. In fact, he's completed this entire race successfully before. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He knows the way. He's done it before. He'll get you there. He's the author and the finisher, the pioneer and the perfecter of the faith travel that you're on. You don't know where this race ends, but he does. And if you keep your eye on him, he'll get you to the end of the race. And he's saying let off put off all those sins that so easily cling to you it's like taking off some of the weight. Have you backpacked a long way before? Now to me backpacking is not quite the same you got you got to make 5 miles to be on the backpack the long way before. Raise your hand. Okay, so you you've backpacked 5 miles before. Okay? Have you ever been lost or not known exactly where you were when you were backpacking before? Yeah, it's actually I think a little easier to get lost when you're backpacking because there's trees all around. When you're out there and you're struggling to find the path, what do you start doing? You start looking for a map. You start looking around for people who are on the path. I've never been backpacking by myself and I don't ever intend to go backpacking by myself. For two reasons. Number one, I'm a social creature and if you put me out in the woods by myself, I'll just go crazy eventually. I'll start talking to the trees and the animals. (laughs) At least one person understands. And number two... There's safety in numbers. There's security in having other people who have found their way there before with you. We used to take a single backpack trip every year. We used to go up out of Echo Lake and hike over the, the little uh, summit there at Echo Lake to Lake of the Woods. And we would go every single year. It's where we took all the newbie backpackers who had never been before. It's seven and a half miles And you hike in, and you're hiking along the lake, and it's just nice, and it's pleasant. And you get them out too far for them to turn around, and then they start climbing. (laughs) And you climb up over the ridge the last old mile and a half, and then there's about a half mile down that same ridge, really steep hill, down into Lake of the Woods. It's a beautiful hike, actually. It's so nice and so easy to reach that all kinds of cabins are popping up on Echo Lake, but it is what it is. One of the great things about going on that trip was there, was there were so many people who knew the way. You began to anticipate that you were almost there. You began to recognize the path as you were traveling along. As we started climbing up that last ridge, I could anticipate the top of the ridge and the descent into the lake. Because I'd been that way before. I'd been along that path before. Do you know church is supposed to be like that? That those of us who have been in this process for a longer time are supposed to be helping guide directions for those who are coming behind who haven't been along the same path before. Do you realize that's what church is all about? Faith lived in proximity with another person impacts that person whether or not they have the same kind of faith. Faith brought into proximity with another person increases its intensity, increases, increases its impact on the other person. That's why we gather together in churches like this and we rub shoulders and we live life on life sort of sort of rubbing against each other because you've experienced things that I haven't experienced and I've experienced things that others haven't experienced and we can tell people how to get along that road. Watch Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he's been all the way to the end of this road before. So what are these things that we're being asked to do? Since we are receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken. So what are you receiving? Okay, three of you are receiving it. What are the rest of you receiving? You're receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken. You're receiving a kingdom that cannot be loosed out of your hand. You're receiving a kingdom that is solidly anchored. You're receiving a kingdom that is yours not to be lost. It won't be taken. It can't be taken. You're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's continue to express our what? Gratitude. Why is gratitude such a big deal? Why should we be expressing gratitude? What's the big deal about expressing gratitude? All right. Turn to your neighbor and ask him, what's the big deal about expressing gratitude? I love the way the husbands and wives do this. This is, how, this is how all the husbands I looked at looked, did this. They went. Show a little enthusiasm, fellas. Express a little gratitude. Valentine's Day. What is the big deal about expressing gratitude? What is it that's so important about expressing gratitude? Have you thanked your husband for anything today? Have you thanked your wife for anything yet today? Have you thanked anyone for anything today? What happens when you thank someone? What happens to you when you say thank you? Makes you feel better. It also makes you understand the list, right? As soon as I say thank you, I have to have something to fill in the next blank with. Thank you for... It's not a very good sentence. That needs to be completed, right? There needs to be an object there. There needs to be something I'm thankful for. As I begin to say thank you more and more often, you know what I begin to realize? I have stuff to be thankful for. I have a lot to be thankful for. Jesus has been along the path ahead of me. Is that thankful stuff? You can look along and see his footprints on that same path leading you forward. Is that something to be thankful for? Absolutely. We have lots to be grateful for. You woke up this morning and his mercies were renewed. You know how you know? You were not consumed. You can be thankful for that. You know, being a pile of ashes, not fun. thankfulness, gratitude is one of those leading expressions that builds faith. And if you begin to be more thankful, you begin to realize how much you have to be thankful for. Your faith in God for His provision continues to grow. You get stronger and you get more encouraged. Your faithfulness continues as you build gratitude. With this gratitude, let us, let us serve in a way that is pleasing to God. Let's serve in a way that's pleasing to God. How are you doing with that? Did God wake up this morning? I don't know if God sleeps. Maybe when God saw you wake up this morning. Did you look down as you're rolling out of bed and say, Look out, devil! Here she comes! <laughs> did He did, did watch you wake up and go, Oh, man, I hope he survives. <laughs> what does it mean to be serving in a way that makes God happy? Pleasing to God with respect and awe because our God really is what? Consuming fire. I almost hate those words sometimes because I think what if I don't do something that's pleasing to God? The consuming fire, pile of ashes, not a good day. Pleasing to God with respect and awe because our God really is a consuming fire. What is he saying? Stay on the path. Do you know what these are? It's a path marker. That one there is actually pointing in the direction you're going. It's pointing at us. If you're backpacking and you see one of those, that thing on top tells you which way to go. Okay, it's called a Karen. It's just a path marker. It's just a stack of rocks to help you know which way you're supposed to go. What is he trying to say? He's saying, stay on the path. You're running a race. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay on the path. He's been on this path before. Follow along behind him. Follow him. Keep following him. Why? Because there's no ridge on that other path. There's no bridge on that other path. You can't get to where God is wanting you to go if you go on the wrong path. I want you to understand this. I want you to keep it as solidly as you can in your head. Because we have this misunderstanding of God here. We have a misunderstanding of the character of God here. We think that somehow God is upset and he's waiting for opportunity to zap everybody if they get off the path. Get off the path that I'm going to whack you. Get off the path that I'm going to beat you. Get, on the, get off the path that I'm going to kill you. No, here's what he's saying. He said, if you get off the path, at the end of that path, there's no bridge. There's no way to get to me that direction. There's no way to get to eternal salvation in that direction. There's no way to get to, to, to peace and joy and happiness in that direction. If you wander off on the wrong path, you don't end up where you started out. How's that for profound? If you wander off onto the wrong path, you don't end up where you started out to go. That's as simple as any message of Scripture. The Scripture is simply saying if you wander off onto the wrong path, you're not going to arrive where you and I want you to arrive. That's all. Is that clear? Now, here's the scary part. Here's the hardest part. Here's the difficult part for God to express to you. Here's the hard part that you and I have to deal with in reality. At the end of the wrong path, there's a moment of final end to sin. There's a moment of destruction. Sin will eventually be destroyed. And all those who are holding on to it and all those who are embracing it and all those who are refusing to walk away from it will be destroyed with it. And God is saying, don't go down that path. It ends in a really bad spot. And what Hebrews is simply saying is, our God is actually a consuming fire. Don't go that way. Go with Jesus. And then you know who dwells in the midst of a consuming fire? The righteous, those covered by the blood of the Lamb. So how are you supposed to do it? The text continues to outline it. It's interesting the things that it pops out. Brotherly love must continue. So when the author is writing to the Hebrews, he's saying, Hey, folks, here's what you have to do to to behave in a way, to walk along the path in a way that pleases God. you want to please God? Here's what you do. Here's how this all works. Number one, brotherly love must continue. Was that on your list? Did that come to your list immediately when you were saying, Hey, I don't know if I'm pleasing God or not, or did you go to a different list? The list that the author writes is this one. Brotherly love must continue. Do not neglect hospitality. Was hospitality on your list? Hospitality didn't make my top 12, let alone the top 10. You must still be hospital. Brotherly love and hospitality. Now, first of all, let me ask you a question. Does this sound hard? Depends on your neighbor, doesn't it? Hospitality with really good neighbors, not a problem. Hospitality with the cranky lady with the barking dog, different story. Hospitality must continue. Brotherly love must continue. Remember those in prison as if you were in the prison with them. This is very significant at this point in time because many, many, many believers were in prison for their faith. Many believers were in prison for their faith. And they are saying, look, those people who are in prison need your encouragement. Why should the faithful visit the person who's in prison? Because when faith is brought in proximity with another person, that faith impacts the other person whether or not they have the same kind of faith. You bring them into your proximity. You bring yourself into proximity with them and you encourage them and you strengthen their faith. And he's saying, look, you've got to visit those folks who have been imprisoned. In this particular case, it's for their faith, but I don't think it's trying to just narrow it to that as if you were in prison with them. Secondly, all those who are mistreated, ill-treated, as though you felt their torment. All those who are who are treated poorly, as if it were you living under the bridge, as if it were you who are being treated poorly, as if it were you who are being called out and abused, as if it were you, live and treat them as if you were feeling the same torment. You know the people who are most impactful on the people who live under the bridge, the people who live in a homeless situation? You know who has the most compassion, has the most impact on them? The people who used to live under the bridge. The people who used to be homeless. You talk to someone who used to be homeless who is not now, and you talk to them about the situation with other people who are in that that dire position, their compassion is extensive. And their effectiveness in working and managing and living with people in those situations is tremendous. Because they felt the pain of that other person. It's asking you to be empathetic. Not sympathetic. Empathetic. Feel the other person's pain. Imagine what it would be like to feel what they're feeling. He continues, Marriage must be honored among you. Marriage must be honored among you. You know what I like about this? First century Christianity having the same problems that 21st century Christianity is having. Say marriage is a difficult thing for some of you and you're not doing it very well. He says marriage must be honored among you. Must be honored among you. Honored by those who are in it. Honored by those who are struggling with it. Honored by those who are encouraging those who are in it and or or struggling with it. Marriage must be honored by you. In the 21st century, marriage has become almost passe. Marriage in our society has become so disposable that it seems to be more common for a person to have once been married and now gone on to something else or been married and remarried than it has been for a person who's just been married for a long time. You know, you, see, you meet a couple who and they've, they've been married for 40 or 50 years and you go, wow. You know why we go, wow? Because it's so uncommon. It's so uncommon among us. said, marriage must be honored among you. I would like to raise the status of marriage in our church. In this church, just our four walls. If we raise the status of marriage, and I know for some of you, you have been down this road, and it's been a rocky road. And and you're, you may have broken up. You may may have been divorced and remarried. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you raising the value of the marriage you're in. I'm talking about you honoring what you what you've made your life part, partner commitment to, honoring and valuing that person, and raising and honoring that value. This is a perfect day to talk about this. You know, Valentine's Day. It's the whole. Uh, did you buy a heart shaped box of Candies as you ran out of Walgreens because you forgot. Would you run into Safeway and get some pansies and daisies? Not pansies, daisies. Pansies are little things, right? Or have you been planning for this for weeks? I want to know. No, I shouldn't ask. Any Any of you guys get flowers or or, or candy? I wonder. I want to lift the value, consider honoring marriage, consider it something we, we do around here. That we honor it and we consider it a good thing, a valuable thing, a blessed thing. Oh, sorry, I didn't give my last one. Your conduct must be free from love of money. You must be content with what you have. Whew. I wore my tie today. Because I was going to talk to you about this. You know, I come dressed for business today. And here's the business. We live in a society obsessed with money. We live in a society obsessed with getting more stuff. We live in a society that teaches us not to be content with what we have. We live in a culture where our whole focus seems to be on getting more, getting more, getting more, getting more, getting more. Scripture is saying, hey, you want to you figure out how to live this life in a way that, that, that's pleasing to God and, by the way, will benefit you? Here's one of the things you need to do. Be content with what you have. Don't be so obsessed with money that you do anything for it. People ruining their lives, ruining their families, ruining themselves, ruining their health. What? For? In the pursuit of more? More what? We're already fatter than we need to be. We don't need more food. Most of us have a bigger house than anyone has ever had before in history that was not royalty. If your house is over about a thousand square feet, you're probably in a bigger house than most any generation has lived in before us. If you think about the fact that most of us live in houses that go to 2,000 square feet, that's a royal dwelling in times past. That's the sort of place that really rich people live. It's considered a pretty average thing today. Some of us live in much larger houses. I'm really not concerned about how big your house is. I'm concerned about where your heart is. Here's the problem with this. If you're not content... If you're not content, your heart will never be at rest, and you will never be in that first place, in that first verbiage, that first statement. Gratitude. Learn to be grateful for what you have been given. Learn to be grateful for what's in your hand. Learn to be grateful for what God has placed with placed in your hand, whether it's big or small. You ever heard of the tiny, tiny house movement? I've mentioned it here a couple of times. Do you know what the tiny house movement's about? It's about living in a house that's 600 square feet or less. Most of these tiny houses have a loft. Do you know why? So there's a place to lay down. Because there's no room anywhere else. But it's people saying, I've got too much stuff. I need to back down. Here's the big deal. It, it's not, the, it's not the, uh, the, the actual two words. or It's not the actual word money. It's the word that precedes it. Being in love with it. Having is not a big deal. Lots of people have it and aren't in love with it. That, that, that having money and not being in love with it is, is found in this next word. Being content with what you have. The call on our lives. To be content. Because otherwise I shake my fist at the heavens and say, why not me, God? Why can't I have a Prius? I don't want a Prius. Just just kidding, God. Just kidding. (laughs) But we shake our fist at the heavens and we want something else. Why? Because we've not stopped to thank God for what we already have. Be content with what you've been given. Do not be carried away by all sorts of strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, grace, not ritual meals. Don't be blown away by all sorts of strange teachings. There are ministries popping up, it seems like, once a week. Teaching in one or another of some kind of weird thing. Be really, really careful about that. There are some very large ministries that will tell you that what you need to do to please God is do exactly everything perfectly. That leads to anxiety, frustration, sadness, anger, and people leaving the church. I'm telling you. Jesus came and lived on this planet He didn't come because you could save yourself. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For God, now we're back to what's pleasing to God. Remember it started out live a life that's pleasing to God? Now we're back to what's pleasing to God. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. Would you like to live next door to a person who lives like this? Would you like your spouse to live like this? Would you like your kids to live like this? They would like you to too. <laughs> too. Let me wrap up. What of the struggle in Romans seven? The apostle say, says, "For we know the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin." For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. For what I hate, that I do. What is Paul describing? He's describing us. He's describing we. He's describing me. He's saying, I know what the right things to do are, and I keep battling with it. I keep struggling with it. I have a hard time making that work. How am I going to do this? What What is wrong with me? You ever looked in the mirror and said, what's wrong with me? You ever faced that sin and failed again and said, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You're broken. Welcome to the club. Because what's wrong with me is wrong with you and wrong with they and them and we. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God. Through Jesus Christ Christ, Our Lord. How am I delivered from this body of death? Jesus is the answer. How do I live a life pleasing to God? Fall on Jesus. Keep my eyes on Jesus. Follow Jesus. Stay on the path he's leading me on. Hang with Jesus and I will be in that walk that God desires for me. And I'm in that walk going to a place where there's an actual bridge from here to there. Not a place where there's no bridge. Not a place where I can't get to where God wants me to go. Following along the path God is asking me to walk. If you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will what? Be saved. saved. That's some pretty good news. Because as I was reading through the list of of things that we should be doing, most of us were starting to struggle with the list, weren't we? Because we already have a whole bunch of shoulds and nots, don't we? We wake up with shoulds and nots every day. I should be better at this. I ought to be a nicer guy. I shouldn't drive in the fast lane all the time. I shouldn't pass people just because they're on the freeway with me. I shouldn't be mad at that little old lady. She's probably going somewhere important. I shouldn't be mad at that distracted guy who's on his phone. I should recognize that maybe he's talking to his wife who's in the hospital. You got enough shoulds and nots? I pick out my driving ones because they're easy for me to confess in front of people. And because you all have the same ones. (laughs) Jesus is the answer to the problem. Remember? Proximity increases intensity. So the closer you get to Jesus, the more intense the experience with Jesus, the more transformational its authority and power. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people who by faith did amazing things, let us keep our eyes on Jesus. Because it is Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. There is no closer proximity than in. You know? You know? Grapefruit in you. That's where the vitamin C comes from. The grapefruit sitting on your counter, not getting you much. Christ in you, Christ in me, that's the hope of transformational power. That's the hope of glory. You and I are struggling with what we should be and want to be and hope we could be. Closer to Jesus is the answer. Closer to Jesus is the answer. Closer to Jesus is the answer. You are probably not, no, you are not going to have the power to do this in your own but in Christ wild and crazy things happen and when Christ gets inside of you you might become hospitable you might become nice you might become gracious you might become like Jesus let's pray Father God there are so many ways that we need to be more like you. Thank you for Jesus who covers us with his grace and renews your mercy every day. Thank you for the sacrifice that made it real for us. Thank you for the understanding that you're with us, that you care about us, that you're trying to help us. Thank you for your willingness to die for us. Help us to open the door wide to you. Invite your Holy Spirit in. And listen to your voice as you lead. In Jesus' name, amen.